Bande Shri Krishna Chaitanya Nityananda Sohodita Gurudai Pushpavanto Chitra Sandotamunodha Shri Guru Vaishnava Guru Parampara Ki Jai Shri Gaur Nityananda Ki Jai Shri Krishna Ram Ki Jai Shri Gauradha Madhav Ki Jai Shri Krishna Arjun Ki Jai Shri Bhagavad Gita Ki Jai So, after several months now, we've arrived at Chapter 2 after extended discussion of the introduction to this particular edition, Bhagavad Gita, its feeling and philosophy, which the next time we have this session will be available for all of you. So we begin tonight with Chapter 2, Sankhya Yoga. Sanjayuvacha tamtata kripaya vishtam ashu purnakulekshanam vishidantam idam bhakyam vachu marusudhanaha. Sanjaya said, To Arjuna, who was thus overcome with pity and had tears filling his downcast eyes in despair, Madhusudana began to speak. This may sound a little bit awkward in English, but it represents a grammatical arrangement in Sanskrit, which is somewhat significant in relation to Arjuna's despair. And you may recall that the previous chapter is entitled Vishada Yoga. This, that title was given by Sridhar Swami, the famous commentator on Bhagavatam that Mahaprabhu so much appreciated. He has a commentary on Bhagavad Gita. And our principal commentators in our Gaudiya line, Sri Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur and Sri Baladi Bhijibhushan Prabhu, they both drew significantly from Sridhar Swami's commentary. So the name Vishada Yoga, Yoga of Despair, and we talked about that at some length. Well, it's carried over here into the second chapter in, in the first uh, few verses. Sanjaya mentions here Arjun's despair. Vishadantam idam bhakyam uvachu marusudanam. The previous chapter is called Vishada Yoga. Vishada is the condition of distress. The symptoms of Arjun's distress, Vishadantam, in the form of downcast eyes filled with tears, Ashru Purnakulekshanam, are described in this verse in the course of introducing Krishna's speech. The grammatical arrangement in this verse indicates Arjuna's despair is external, it's not inherent, that is, it's superficial, and thus possible to remove. Krishna's instructions in this chapter by which he seeks to remove Arjuna's despair constitute a sutra-like commentary on the Gita's contents. So the despair of of Arjuna is, is, is a topic here carried over from the previous chapter. And as I mentioned, it's superficial. So our conditioning in relationship to matter in general is as well. Our beloved Shiksha Guru Om Vishnupad Sri Bhakti Goswami Maharaj once said something that always struck me that our conditioning, he said, is like mushrooms or like moss, that it has no roots. And the real ground that we stand on, Brahman consciousness, we are of that nature. So although the conditioning to us seems deeply rooted, Actually, from the vantage point of a self-realized soul, it's superficial. And therefore, such persons can speak to us in, in, in ways that are so encouraging. 
because they speak to us largely in terms of our potential. But they do it in such a way that even while we feel encouraged about our potential, what we could what we could be. I've told this story before and I'll just tell it very briefly again to illustrate my point. One of my disciples many years ago, a young lady who joined me here in San Francisco, a friend, after she had joined, a friend wrote to her and said, well, I'm happy for you with what you're doing. And he didn't really understand it so much. And he said to her that I just want to know that when you look in the mirror, you're smiling. I guess what he meant is that you're happy there. And Are you really happy there? Because <laughs> I couldn't imagine that you could be happy there. And perhaps people have control of you or your mind in such a way that you can't really be yourself. So that's the implication of his question. And she wrote back to him. She said, actually, when I look in the mirror, I don't see that much to smile about. But when I look at my guru, then I feel so much to smile about. The implication being that there I, I saw my potential. And Chaitanya Charitamrita has mentioned that our own heart, good heart, and heart's aspiration comes before us externally in the form of the sadhu, the guru, like a mirror, future mirror, what we could be, what our potential is. This phenomenon, is, we should understand, this divine dispensation, it's, it's not a foreign imposition. It's actually answering our own heart, our own aspiration, relative to that, the nature of it, the degree of that, if it's godly, then some reciprocation is going to come from above. When we understand that, then we can serve Sri Guru like Sri Rupa Goswami has encouraged us to do in his Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. What does he say? Vishwambhena Guru Seva. Vishwambhena Guru Seva. We should serve our Guru affectionately. It means with Affectionate, Vishwash means faith also, so affectionate faith and deep faith. Like we have in someone we know who cares about us, who loves us, that sense. Vishwamde also actually leads up to the point of practically equality. We are all Jivara Swarupoi Krishna Nityadasa. In our nature, we are all servant of Krishna, whether we are sitting there or sitting here whether we're talking or whether we're listening. There's no meaning to teacher without student. No meaning to student without teacher. So we have a mutual relationship. Bodhayantas parasparam tushantichara Krishna says, mutually enlightening one another in Krishna consciousness. The questioner, Parikshit Maharaj, is as important to us as the speaker, Sukadeva Goswami, in the equation of speaker and inquirer, as Parikit means, uh, of Srimad Bhagavatam. If we can identify with the spiritual ideal represented in the sadhu, in the guru, to such an extent that we can serve fully in this, as, as Rupa Goswami has advised, we can find it almost um, the opposite externally of what we would have expected the relationship between guru and disciple to be. In other words, we can find the guru serving the disciple who has identified so much with his mission that the guru deals with the disciple as if it's his own stomach that needs to be fed, 
that the whole thing may, that the service may go on. Prabhupada was cooking for his own disciples at one point. We think it is the business of the disciple to serve the Guru, and, but by affections force and identification, and spiritual life is as much about identification as material life is about, a, about misidentification. Identifying with that, we become, in a dynamic sense, one with that. So the disciples become like the Guru's own limbs, and he's very careful to take care of them, to watch over them, make sure they're well fed, nourished, and have whatever they need to do the service that both the Guru and disciple are involved in. We are all servants. We've talked about this before to some extent. Guru is, sometimes people say, well, could I also be the Guru? But we're not really, we're teaching how to, not how to be Gurus directly, but we're teaching how to be disciples. And when we become a good disciple, then naturally we become a teacher because that's what we're teaching, that we're all students forever. So here, Arjuna, he's distressed, and there are symptoms of his distress. And compassion or pity is also mentioned. And these symptoms are all, as I'm explaining, though they're symptoms of his conditioning, they're all external. They can be brushed away in no time. Krishna will brush away in one verse, in the next verse, all of the arguments that Arjuna has given thus far. In one verse previous arguments in, in chapter 1. So if we keep good company with a saintly person, we should be confident all the problems can be solved. But we have to understand how to go about that. He's not to solve every individual problem, but to solve the problem at the root by bringing Krishna into our lives. So, both things. When we sit before our Guru Prabhupada said, we should feel like a fool. He used to say that. But we used to feel both things. We feel our potential, which he represents, and which he speaks to us in terms of, relates to us in terms of. And then we feel also our own conditioning, two polar opposites, our potential and our, our conditioning. And we should know both. We should know what is our, our ideal and where we are on the map at present. So when we apply ourselves in such a way that we may go, step by step, kram vikram, and... Although it's true, you could go all at once, it's possible. These are the exceptions. We'll go step by step, incrementally, little by little, and if we have a sense of how high and how exalted the goal is, then every tiny little step that we make, we feel encouraged. Just like I'm living at Audarya, up in Mendocino there. And we moved down to the land there a little over a year ago, and we were living in tents and we had no uh, electricity, running water, taking showers from a, from a bag hanging from a tree like a bucket and turning it over. So every little bit of progress we appreciate. We get a little bit of electricity or a little solar electricity. Now we have a bathhouse, of course, so these are huge uh, developments for us. But for an ordinary person, so we think we would be so encouraged that we had a bathroom. It seems like, well, that's, that's normal. <laughs> One of my godbrothers once asked Sri she said, I don't feel I'm making any progress. And he said, no progress? And he quoted from Padma Purana, Jalajana Balakshani Stavarlakshavim Shati, you know this verse. 
There are so many lakhs of species, 84 lakhs of species. Jalaja Navalakshmi, from the aquatics, 900,000, and from the trees, 1,100,000, from the beasts, 300,000, and so forth, and up to 84 lakhs. Human beings, 4 lakhs only, 400,000. Now you've, Sri Ramarsha is saying, you've got a human life. What do you mean, no progress? It may have taken a long time, but now you have that. And Sadhu Sangha, also, at the same time, so valuable. One of my godbrothers used to say, the distance we have gone, traversed thus far, is far greater than the distance we have to go from here, from this point, the point of meeting our guru. Even though that may seem very far, it's very close. When we have good company, for sarusanga, sarusanga, sarva shastre koi lavamatra sarusanga, sarva siddhi hai. Just a little association, a little bit of good company goes a long, long way. Siddhamarsha once told me, just like the atom, it's very small, has great potential. So little association with the sadhu can change the course of our life. And the distance we have to go from that point is insignificant in comparison to the distance we've traversed thus far. After all, wandering aimlessly. So here Arjun's despair, his despair, it's, it's superficial. It can be removed. We should be encouraged by this. This is the message of this verse. Your despair, which material life is full of, it can all be removed. And we'll find shortly in this beginning section, the way that Arjun did that, of course, is to accept Krishna as his guru. Now here it is mentioned also, Tom Tata Kripayavishtam. He was overwhelmed with pity, with compassion. We first heard about this compassion in the first chapter in verse 27. Paraya kripayavishtam, vishidam. Same word, vishada. That's where it came in the first chapter, verse 27. Now here, this is mentioned here as well, where we are referring back to the first chapter, Arjuna's despair. There, it was mentioned uh, that with great compassion, Arjuna began his speech of resistance, which as we've discussed amounted to, when we really look at it, the bottom line, rationalization of his attachments, which we are so prone to. The previous chapter ended with, with on this note, so appropriately, that the, the major, the, the hurdle that takes us from material life to actual spiritual experience, from theory theoretical spiritual life to experiential spiritual life is brought up in the first chapter. We have to deal honestly with our attachments. We have to confront them. And there's no bargaining to, to get around that. We may do it gradually, and in that sense there can be some bargaining, but it has to be done. We have to die to our identity based on Attachments, our whole identity is based on a material attachment. You have to die to that in order to live a life of the soul. And such a life of the soul, Gaudiya Vaishnavism is, speaks to us about. But that's all nice theory only. We can't cross over this hurdle. So focus, we should focus there. Focus in, in that, see that our spiritual culture of hearing and chanting about Krishna, which is primary to our spiritual culture, is actually 
bringing about this desired result. Not that I'm just getting a head full of information, but I'm actually letting go. So here, in a sense, by mention of Arjuna's compassion, we referred back to the very beginning of Arjuna's speech, where so many things, brimming with compassion, with great compassion, he begins to rationalize. And he gives good arguments based on dharma, logic, and so forth, which would, in and of themselves, be good reasoning. But because they amount to a rationalization in an effort to avoid the task at hand, they're rejected out of hand by Krishna. Now, it's also true, and we've mentioned this, that the compassion of Arjuna, as much as it's based on material attachment, he's compassionate to whom? He was compassionate to his own group, but when Krishna just waved his magic wand, when Krishna drew the chariot up, as Arjuna had requested him to do, bring my chariot up between the two armies so I can see who's fighting here. And Krishna said, did it, stopped in front of Bhishma and Drona, who were the princi- personified the principal attachments of, of Arjuna. And then uh, Krishna said, he mystically, he just made a motion, and he said, just see all of your family members here. And suddenly, from the Pandavas being his family members, whom he was naturally compassionate for, because we have compassion for those who we identify with, he identified with the opposition as well, all as his family. Krishna called him, see all of the Kurus assembled here. So now Arjun has compassionate compassion because he's identifying all the members on the battlefield as his uh, family members. So for those who we are identified with, attached with, we have a natural and spontaneous compassion. Acharyas have described his compassion like this, natural and spontaneous. But it's also mundane. Now that means there must be spiritual compassion as well. Indeed there is. And we should understand these two properly. In fact, I wrote an article on this, and as you know, those of you who have been coming to these sessions... They originally started as a, as a kind of a workshop format where I would give reading assignments to everyone to follow up on certain things. So you can read that article if you like. It was published in Ancient Wisdom. It's called Getting to the Heart of Compassion. And there I discussed material compassion as the shadow of real spiritual compassion. And it's very easy to misunderstand both of these things. It's very easy in the name of spiritual life to become hard-hearted, for example. And it's very easy in the name of spiritual life to become soft-hearted and sentimental in a way that will not call your spiritual progress. Classic examples that come to mind are the one who wants to live as a monastic in ashram, but that isn't an authentic position for, for him or her. And it's kind of an intellectual sleight of hand, living in the monastery, but looks at the suffering of humanity as something like tough karma. It's too bad for them. That's their karma. Don't get involved, Prabhu. No compassion whatsoever. You see, this real spiritual position, which 
in one sense, compassion is synonymous with. Our highest ideal is Sirada. She said to be the compassionate heart of Krishna. When Krishna looks to the heart of Radha, what is there? He looks deeply in her heart to find what is it in your heart that causes you to love the way that you do, that, that I, a connoisseur of love, have no acquaintance with. I'm Rasaraj. And that Ras that you're experiencing in relation to me, I have no acquaintance with. I, I'm the Supreme God. I have no access to that. To that. You're my guru. Looking deeply in her heart to want to know what that is, what happens to him? Krishna becomes Gaur, Gaur Krishna. Sham becomes Bahir Gauram. Inside he's Sham. What is that verse? Antahar Krishna, Bahir Gauram. He's Krishna. Inside, Sham. Antar Krishna. Krishna also means black. So inside he's black. He's Krishna. Bahir Gauram. Outside he's golden. Golden is the, is the complexion of Radha. And here we find Krishna chasing out to the heart of Radha. And what is the result of that? It, it, one result for us is, the one that's most noticeable to us, is the whole thing is overflowing to, on our heads, to our hearts. What thing? Such a high thing. That God, the Supreme Brahman, Krishna, is trying to understand that, trying to experience that. And the nature of that experience, in his pursuit of it, is overflowing to us. And we are so unqualified. Therefore, Mahavadu Nayavatara. Mahaprabhu has been called most magnanimous. Because when you put the two things together, most unqualified, receiving the, the highest thing, then you have true magnanimity. If you give the highest thing to qualified people, well, that is not so magnanimous. If you give the highest thing to the most unqualified, then you have magnanimity. This is the byproduct. So, therefore, compassion, in one sense, is synonymous with spiritual life, the compassionate heart. So if we are to come to real spiritual compassion, we will have to pass through material compassion. Once one of my godbrothers was standing on a balcony of what was in a Calcutta temple on Albert, what is it, Albert Street, Albert Lane? Albert Road. Albert Road, yeah. Small place, and he was looking over the balcony, and there was... Uh, a couple of beggars who were had a physical deformity. You could see that often in India, someone without a hand and, and uh, leading a life of begging and and so forth. So he looked over the balcony and, and Prabhupada was there also. And he said, Prabhupada, he was troubled, he said, sometimes I feel compassion for these people. Because he was thinking, well, it's just mundane, it's just their karma. And what they're getting, their due, these are the fruits of the seeds that they've sown, and I should look at it philosophically and not get involved. This is Vedanta. Sounds pretty hard-hearted. So on the surface it is. The one who enters into Vedanta replies like Prabhupada did. He said, why only sometimes? At all times. Now we may have a solution that looks hard-hearted, but if you look closely at it, it's a comprehensive solution. I mean, Prabhupada didn't run down and say, put a rupee in his can. Although I saw Prabhupada give rupee here and there. But uh, he didn't run down and do that. He was fully involved 
and authentically from Prabhupada's position in something that was creating, a, bringing about a comprehensive solution to the problem. After all, hunger is not a stomach problem, ultimately. It's a, it's a condition of the heart. It's a, it's a misplaced affinities. Because if we feed hunger, will it go away forever? Never. <laughs> it will never end by feeding. But by addressing the condition of the heart, it brings about material identification, a misplaced affinity. We can solve the hunger problem. We've heard of the Sadgosami, Shirup Sanatan, Prabhu's Jiva Gosami and all. Srinivas has made a poem about them like this. They forgot about eating. They forgot to sleep. They were taking the name of Krishna in a regular fashion. They became so absorbed in that. It's possible to solve the hunger problem and all problems by this. But in order for us to affect that kind of solution, we have to be understand, realize the implications of karma. Otherwise, just artificially adopting that understanding, we end up having the farthest thing from the soft heart that spiritual life is about. So, we can't artificially go to that position. It's possible we may be able to connect ourselves with someone who is in that position and assist that person in every possible way. And that can be an authentic position for us. But my point is that we have to pass through material compassion to come to the heart of compassion. And those who have, they may not be working full-time to feed the poor or open hospice for AIDS victims, uh, patients, and so forth, but they naturally feel for them. They have real compassion. In fact, in sixth chapter of Bhagavad Gita, we find fifth chapter and sixth chapter, we find this description, particularly in sixth chapter. In fifth chapter, Krishna says what? Sarvabhuta hite rataha. That person who, who identifies with the troubles of everyone, as if they were his own. The sixth chapter is, the, of course, the culmination of this first set of six chapters, which is the psychology of yoga psychology of Bhagavad Gita. In this first six chapters, we're finding a gradual build-up of what it means to be a devotee. The knowledge that Krishna will offer in this chapter, Sankhya, the practical application of yoga, the development of that yogic idea, karma yoga, nishkam karma yoga, in chapter 3, the knowledge that is the result of nishkam karma yoga and its culture, the ingress of, of spiritual knowledge, of sattva, that's the subject of chapter 4, the renunciation of action in chapter 5, of those things, that is, actions that are not conducive to meditation, which is the subject dhyan of chapter 6. Add to that in the beginning the dutifulness that Krishna speaks about, and we find a devotee is all of these things. He's dutiful and responsible, balanced person, he's detached, he has real spiritual mystic insight, all these things together, it all comes out at the, at the, at the end in chapter 6, 
when Krishna culminates, he, he starts to talk about his devotees and what they are. And then he says, of course, devotion is the best kind of yoga. And then we go to the theology of Bhagavad Gita, where he begins to talk about himself in chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. So in, it, towards the end of chapter 6, Krishna begins to speak about his devotees to Arjuna directly. And there he mentions, he describes them. He says, Sukham va, yaridukham va, parayoga mataha. Paroyoga mataha. Who? Sukham va, yaridukham va. Who? I, means, he's saying, who identifies that yogi, who identifies with the sukham and the dukham of other people as if they were his own. He is the best yogi. So again, it's the question of identification. When we come to identifying, the point of identifying on the spiritual platform, the family, the small family of Arjun, even as big as it was, including all of the Kurus on both sides, grows considerably larger beyond impossibility to calculate. Everywhere. World family, universal family, identifying with the soul in everybody, and that we are all of the same stuff, and then seeing who knows that, and then sees the condition that the souls are in, identifies with their happiness and their sorrow as if it were his own. Krishna says, this is the highest kind of yogi. What better example, and, and also we could say of this, do we have than the gopis? We are actually talking about, the, we're going into the low end here now of Bhagavad Gita. But as you see, as we discussed, the high end keeps coming up. Now, don't just listen to the high points theologically. Listen to the low points also. They will get us there. High point, we go now. What is this example of that kind of devotee? We find in Gopi Gita, Ras Lila, Krishna left gopis to be with Radha. He left Radha to show the gopis why he left with her. Their separation was great. They searched him out everywhere. But when they found her footprints along with his and tracked her down, as they arrived, just as they were arriving in the forest bower to come upon Radha and Krishna, what did Krishna do? He disappeared. Why did he disappear? And why did Radha ask him to slow down? Carry me. I think you should carry me. She wanted him to slow down because she wanted the other gopis to catch up. Because she felt compassion for them, knowing their separation. But he wanted to teach them. The reason I left with her is because her separation is greater than all of yours combined. And that's what they saw when they came upon her with him having just disappeared. And then led by her and her separation. The intensity of that. They went to the bank of the Jamuna and they began to sing in Kirtan, Hari Kirtan. They began to perform Krishna Kirtan. This is called Gopi Gita. We have Bhagavad Gita, Gopi Gita, Song of the Gopis, 19 songs they sang. And one song was particularly appreciated by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. In Gaur Lila, the Raj of Orissa, Pratap, he had great affection for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was a sannyasi, a yati, tyagi. And Pratap Prudra Maharaj was a Raj. So externally, these two are polar opposites. The Raj has many wives, and he's a Epicurean. 
tasting so many nice things and dressing in silk, sitting on a silk cushion, <laughs> personification of material enjoyment, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is a, a, a tyagi, sannyasi. They were in, in different worlds externally. But also we should learn from this that what we see on the surface may not be the whole picture. Don't judge a book, they say, by looking at the cover. Prataparudra Maharaj was a great devotee. He happened to be in that situation, but actually he was a great devotee. Still, Mahaprabhu did not give him darshan, because he feared, if I give him darshan, people will think I'm bought and paid for by the king, and then people will not take my message seriously. So I want to set externally an example of a sannyasi, because the only reason Mahaprabhu took sannyas was for the sake of the people. Bhagavatam speaks how he gave up Raj Lakshmi. Gaur Vishnupriya. Gaur and Vishnupriya. Vishnupriya Devi, the wife of Gauranga Mahaprabhu. Lakshmi. Who could have a better wife? He gave up the goddess of fortune. For who? For us. For though he went chasing after the people who were in Maya, then Vishnu Devi heard the rumor, Nimai Pandit will take sannyas. You can imagine what went through her mind. Mahabrabhu saw that night that she was depressed. He wanted to bring it out. What is it? What is bothering you, Devi? Nothing, she would not say. Of course, he knew he was omniscient. You have heard that I'm thinking of taking sannyas. Then he told her, Devi, one thing you should understand. We have incarnated in many forms, many times, and in this incarnation, our business is crying. Only crying. This is what we have to do. So Vishnu Priya Devi gave him permission. We are indebted to her. Mahabhu took sannyas and then he came after us. That sannyas lila of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is very important to us because in that lila he teaches us by his example how we can mitigate, how we can get feelings of separation from Krishna and how we can mitigate those pains of separation and enter into his lila. So Prataparuddha Maharaj, he was a great devotee and he wanted Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's association, but Mahaprabhu, for the sake of us, didn't give him association. But Bhattacharya Sarvabhoma, who had become a great devotee of Mahaprabhu in Puri, coached him on the side. And he said, listen, Rathayatra will come. We just witnessed the Rathayatra here. A couple of weeks back, you were there. Uh, such a deep event, this is. Such a spiritual event. Jagannath. He's the Lord of the universe, Jagannath. And by his rag attachment, he becomes degraded. Just like material attachment degrades us. We have material attachment that has great potential to degrade us, to, to cause us, to force us, to drag us to do things that are not in our interest. So the Lord of the universe sitting high on his throne was dragged down by the ropes representing the hearts of the gopis, dragging him out of the temple. That is what Rathiyatra is about. Krishna has rag. 
also. If we know about the rag of Krishna, then our rag will go away, our material rag, and we become attached to Krishna, like gopis are attached to Krishna. So much that Krishna is attached to them. Like I said, Krishna is chasing after gopis and trying to understand what is the nature of their love. It's so extraordinary. He wants to taste that. Though the ropes in the car, they represent the gopis' hearts, and they're dragging him down. Come down. And what happens when he comes down from his throne? God becomes like one of us, human-like. That is Krishna Lila, not a Lila. And Jagannath is in the midst of everybody. All year long he's in the temple. Only special people can go close to him. But at this time he comes out for everybody. Big wide eyes. Help me, he's saying. I have some rag. And everybody gets a chance to serve Jagannath. Everybody can offer some food. Everybody can even get on the cart and, and embrace him. Therefore I said, when Krishna goes mad for the love of the gopis, we have a great opportunity then. That is like his greatest weakness can enter there very easily if we know about that. <laughs>